Hi everyone, welcome to another episode on Unplug with Annie. We have Carlos J. Malave on the show today as part of the series of Psyche. He is a self-published author and the CEO and founder of Translating Success. His book is also called Translating Your Success and we're going to be talking a little bit more about that. He is an educator, coach and mentor and has taught in some of the best schools around the country. Um, his last role was a restorative justice coordinator in a high school where he developed his restorative practice curriculum. And we're going to be talking exactly about what that means and what that includes and how important it is. Um, as a child, Carlos was extremely successful at sports, but he felt he lagged behind his siblings in academics and after reflecting on his circumstances, he realized he could succeed in school by applying some principles that actually made him a good athlete. And we're going to be talking about what those principles are in more depth and how it all essentially links to our mindset and that changing behavior is absolutely possible. Hey, Carlos, welcome to Unplug with Annie. How you doing? Very good, thank you. How are you? Fantastic. I appreciate you giving me the invitation. I'm excited to be on the podcast. Great. Well, it's it's such a pleasure to have you. Tell us a little bit about what you're what you're currently doing, and um, I, well, about translating success and how yes. that all came to play. Yes. So. Um, I've been a teacher for 10 plus years. Um, so I've been in education for a while. I went to school for education and then I've been in education in New York and Texas. I've been working for many charter schools across the country, KIPP, Yes Prep, um, Inwood Academy. So a bunch of different uh, type of environments I've been a part of, but with along the way, I was speaking at colleges and elementaries and high schools and programs as well throughout the years. And then about five years ago, when I first moved out to Texas, I started working within uh, schools in Texas and KIPP and Yes Prep. And there was this conference called the Restorative Practice Conference. I had never had any experience with the restorative practices before, never heard of it. So, but someone, a colleague of, me, of mine at the school that I was working at at the time has suggested, hey, you speak about very similar things. You should try it out. So I did a little research, found out that what restorative practices were, um, what were they about, which is a different way of looking at discipline and getting to the root cause of things, right? So I was like, okay, that's basically what I talk about and I, I motivate people on how to identify triggers and, and things to avoid situations and get to the bottom of things. So I went and spoke and while I was there, uh, there was a KIPP school that had attended now, a bunch of kids were in my room that I was speaking in, and it went extremely well that a lot of the kids came up to me and was like, hey, you should work at our school, you should come to our school. And the principal, the assistant principal were there and a couple of deans, and they had recommended me as well. I was like, well, yeah, let, let's get in contact and let's talk. Little did I know those kids, that was a Saturday. Little did I know those kids and those deans and that assistant principal went to the principal on Monday and spoke very highly of me to the point where he gave me a call um, and he brought me on as a consultant for a year where I came and spoke. They implemented my book, which is Translating Success. It's on Amazon as well. So I was a, a published author at that time. They implemented my book into their freshman seminar. So I was doing the work within campus and when I do my speaking engagements and I, I go to programs. I, it's a whole day event for me. It's not just speaking and going. Like I like to be um, a part of the community, sit in classes, sit at lunch tables, and really get to get a feel of the environment before I speak. And then after I speak, I like to connect. So I was doing that every time I was uh, at the KIPP school and they saw me build relationships to the point where they offered me a position as restorative justice coordinator. I didn't know that could happen. So it all was created from the work that I was doing on the side of teaching. So wow. I came in as a restorative justice coordinator, very excited about the work where I was working with staff and students alike to get to the um, root cause of things that arise at school. 
Um, and then I had the unique thing was that I had a council uh, that gave me the student council. I changed the name and I called it the Restorative Justice Council. And I gave them training in circle leading, conflict resolution, a radical candor, which is leadership. It's a book written by Kim Scott about being direct, but um, being direct, but uh, with care in leadership. So it's a different form of leadership uh, to be able to communicate better. So I gave them that training. We went around campus and we did the work and they, the kids started becoming the front line of defense. So like when things come up, my students, which were seniors and juniors at the time, were dealing with things that were coming up, were leading circles on campus. And then I used my network and I got them to go do presentations at other high schools and elementaries. And we did, we got recognized and we were able to make it on ABC News. They did wow. a feature of us on ABC News with the work that we were doing. And I was loving it. I was enjoying it. It was something I was very passionate about. It was actually like, basically, I couldn't believe I was teaching a class where you know, I'm giving kids life skills that can be used right away within the same day. And we're doing the work. And then I'm living by example. So like I'm taking the work, I'm, I'm becoming a better husband, I'm becoming a better father, I'm becoming a better son, and I'm communicating in ways that were better for me. So all around, it was coming full circle. And then on January 10th, 2019, my father committed suicide. And that it was very traumatic. Um, he had called me before. Ironically, I was talking to two students about their father, their relationship with their fathers, and my father was calling me, and it eventually would be the last call that he had given me, and I didn't pick up. Um, I think he was in a process because that happened. It, it was in a he was in a process of deciding, mm -hmm. and I guess he needed someone to talk him out of it, which was something that I had to process and take time to do. And it was very traumatic for me, but it ended up, ended up happening. I had to go home um, and deal with that and the family and, and then process for myself. But, and then I ended up coming back with the decision of like, okay, like I tell my kids, you got to walk the walk. You had to actually use the work to kind of like better your circumstance or, you know, be a part of it. So I took my own advice from the class that I was teaching and kind of saved my life where uh, I went in, I was having these uh, conversations with myself, with family members, with my wife, um, and identifying things that were going on even before it happened, um, leading up to the death of my father and, and processing the history of my family and realizing that my my father's father jumped in front of a car my father jumped in front of a train so my my whole situation is so that my daughter doesn't ask why her father jumped right so it, it was very it was something that i had to get to the point it was i remember i was with my wife one night and she said she was scared because for a long time um my whole premise was to be better than my father. And my father trained me to be that way. He, my, da my dad been through it all, like very poor, uh, came from nothing, um, was on the streets, was, went to prison. Uh, so he was caught up in a bunch of stuff, but he was able to um, protect me from that because he knew that life. And the best thing he did, he married a college educated woman. So I, I kind of got the best of both worlds in the household growing up, but, mm -hmm. He used to train me. He was like, my job is to make you better. You want to be better. Every generation is supposed to be better than last. So he trained me that way. And my wife was like, now that he's gone, who are you? And I was okay. like, whoa. And the next day I went to therapy. And that was another part of the process where, and then I, I used therapy. And then my class where we sat in circle and we reflected and I used my experience as an example. I came back you know, a month later to work and, and the kids, you know, I could see it in the kids um, reaction and how it moved forward. Like, damn, like I wouldn't be able to go back to work. So like they saw me as an example from everything that we had experienced already. So at the end of it, at the end of that first, uh, at the end of that year, I, and I decided to leave and take time to process and, and create my own thing. So that's when, you know, my wife was like, you know, you need some time to process your dad and actually, you know, not be too occupied with everything else. And then, you know, you've been building your business, this speaking thing for a while. So why don't you just make it a business? 
And, you know, I took the title of my book, Translating Success, and I made it an LLC, a business. Um, I, I took the curriculum that I built at Kip Houston High School with the Restorative Justice Council, and I sat down with um, AP statistic teachers, AP lit teachers, and did lesson plans, aligned them to ELA standards, um, state standards, and um, made it real like a real thing. So made a restorative power curriculum is what I call my program, the restorative power program, which is different than anything else, because I tell people all the time that it's, it's a lifestyle, not a practice. Right. You, know, you have to live it. You can't just practice it within the confines of six to eight hours a day and then assume that, you know, it'll work. It has to be something you have to take home with you and, and do on a daily basis. So that's where it came about. And from there, I have been able to use my curriculum, push it into schools. Right now, it's in two schools in New York City, a high school, um, two high schools in New York City, and it's in a couple schools in Texas. And from there, pandemic happened. And this is the crazy thing. When you create your own thing, things are just magically happen. Apparently, an assistant principal that was at Kip Usa High School became a principal. And she started a brand new school called Kip Mosaic. Okay. And she, from scratch, she was like, I need to make this restorative. And I applied, you know, with the pandemic uh, going down just to have, I had a year off and then the pandemic happened. And I'm like, and although I was doing well in my business, I was like, I just need to secure something so that, you know, we can get back so that we don't fall behind or whatever. And I, I actually wanted to be on the ground level again and be around the students and continue the work now that I've established my business, get back into the daily, right? So mm -hmm. I, I could focus on my craft. And she, I applied just a regular teaching position and she was like, no, you know, I, I want you to do your curriculum. I want you to be the restorative power teacher and teach wow. our kindergarten, first graders, fifth and sixth graders. So that's what I'm currently doing now. And now that I have a high school and middle school curriculum, I'm building an elementary curriculum as we speak on a wow. daily basis where I'm getting kids to um, understand the, the lifestyle that you need to live to be healthy. It's not just school classes. It's um, something that you need to be, you need to use to become whole. And wow. Wow. Well, no, thank you for, for sharing that part. I think sharing your dad's loss also is really significant uh, for sure, clearly in the work that you did. Yeah. Um, wh when we talk about restorative practice and conflict resolution, one thing I definitely want to ask is, um, how young do kids need to learn this in terms of, in your opinion? That's a good, that's a great question. And I think as soon as possible, I think restorative power can be taught within the household. And I do PD, I do professional developments for, and that's the thing, I, I started speaking about it for students. And then I noticed that there was a gap that needed to be filled because a lot of the adults needed just as much mm. because the adults were kids that just fell through the program and got the degrees and never really worked on that part, right? Yeah. They're not getting to the root cause of, I look at it like this. If, you're, if, you don't, if you don't have that presence with your peers, where you can walk in a room, you're comfortable in your own skin, you can have these conversations and you're about that life, right? And then if, you're not, if you don't have that in your real life, right, with your peers, don't expect to go in a classroom and get that reaction from students. Students can smell fake from a mile away. So that's how I tell my teachers now, like I'm working with schools and I'm dealing more with the teachers than I am with the students. Yeah. Um, because it's like, you know, the, the kids are getting it from somewhere. They're getting it from the students, from the, from the parents. And it's all about addressing that. The sooner you can get out, that's, I think that's a benefit with what I, I was dealing with high school. And I knew there was a lot of things I had to break down and get yeah. to uh, redo, right? Unlearn. Um, here it's like they're learning. Wow. Right. They had their experiences. And now I don't have I don't judge anybody from their experiences. I kind of use their experiences to their benefit. Like, OK, that's happening to you. You're not alone. Guess what? Everybody in this room has something, you know, and the power behind that. Like I remember being a child and having my dad and my parents go through stuff. And I was seeing things that maybe I shouldn't have seen at a, a certain age. But 
I was disciplined to be good in class, but I was dealing with so much and nobody knew. I had friends that when I graduated college every, and we got back together and they were like, wow, I didn't know. I didn't know like you were going through that. And it was just like, you know, everybody reacts to it differently. So I tell my kids all the time, like, you know what I mean? You're not alone. So the power behind that can change it all. Like, oh, I, I, you're, you're taught that because a lot, the population that I'm dealing with, um, they're taught in the population that I'm from, they're taught that you need to have good grades to be successful. Yeah. That's not necessarily, I was a C plus student in, 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 in high school. I ended up being a B plus, A minus in college because, and then because I figured it out, it was like, it's not about, you know, you can learn the sitting in class and studying, you can learn that stuff. It's about like building relationships with people that can help you networking, right? Um, and, and having purpose behind it, right? Why are you doing these things, right? So once you're able to do that, I became a better student. I tell kids all the time, like I, I, I was a C plus student in high school. I wrote a book. I know people from Harvard and people that come from privilege and all that haven't written a book you know yeah. don't have the courage to sit in front of thousands of people and and, and speak right yeah. so it's all about using what you have right and whether you come from privilege identifying it and then if you don't like accepting it and be like okay this is this is what i need to use what's in front of me right mm -hmm. but being able to but i notice i am the way i am because of the mentors in my life like i had there were so many men in my life that came that I came across that filled gaps that my father couldn't fill. And the best thing my father did was he didn't get in the way of them, right? He allowed other men to enter my life to, to influence me. I had a coach, smooth, old black man, um, Coach Powell. He would go into the hood with a suit and he would give respect from everybody, the, the gangbangers, the, 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 the ball players, everybody would respect him. And then he'll go into school and give respect from people that came from privilege. And then he had a family and he, he, he had a, he, he had a, this, he had a functional family with kids and, and the parents, which um, I didn't necessarily see all the time. And I was mm -hmm. like, Oh, like I, that's normal. I want that. So that, and then like me, that's what I tell kids. I saw that, but the next thing was like, how do I continue to stay around that? Right. The questions, how do I get into that environment? and pushing yourself. So making that stuff normalize is what I'm basically doing in these classes. And I think it's the sooner the better, the, the, the earlier you could get a kid and make them feel like, you know, one, they're not alone. And then two, um, give them the skills to go get the help they need, right? Yeah. So that, cause I told yesterday's class, we were talking, I was talking to the sixth graders. And I was like, you know, sometimes we're so angry at the person that's not there that we don't see the person that's actually there. True. We're so mad that it's not our father, that we don't see that man that's giving us what we need and allowing that person in, right? Mm -hmm. So it's all about identifying that. Like if I was told a lot of it, and I, this is how I built my curriculum. And I say this all the time. And this is what my curriculum is functional of. If my father had this, if my father was exposed to this early on in his life, he would still be alive. And I completely believe that. And that's how I teach my curriculum. And that's how I, 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 that's how I push the work out there, right? Yeah, so, yeah. so yeah. can you talk a little bit more about the principles within the curriculum in terms of, I know like you, you speak a lot of congruence clearly, like I know, you know, to a certain degree, all of us, if we, if we haven't learned it or experienced it, it's very difficult to come in and, and teach it. That's almost mm -hmm. like, being a fraud you know you're yeah. like you feel like so there's certain things that you obviously you obviously learned and were able to to teach even before you experience this trauma yeah. and then when you experience the trauma you 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 know it took you off in a different direction you had to address your demons and then it made you an even better consultant mm -hmm. and mentor because you were able to address it from a different perspective so awesome. can you talk about like some of the principles that that you know that stuck even before you had this experience and and even now it's, it's just as relevant uh, despite the fact you, you know you went through that experience i think the biggest principle that i learned and i also learned this from sports i was a big time basketball player i played college basketball as well um yeah. i was a big time player in high school but um yeah. the biggest thing that i learned was uh discipline like disciplining yourself to practice disciplining yourself to go through the pain right and see the benefit 
of the work after. So I and that's why I call it translating your success because it transfers to different aspects of your life. And in my book, Translating Your Success, which is on Amazon, um, I do it uh, every chapter. I talk about being a son, being an athlete, being a student, being a father, being a husband, and I connect it. And you see a lot of the principles are transferable, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's about disciplining yourself in the work, right? You want to be a certain place now, figuring out what you need to do to get there and then practicing it. And practicing it could be like you're falling on your face, right? But you're falling forward. I think Denzel Washington said this, and he might have been quoting Les Brown, which is a, another motivational speaker that I yeah. follow dearly. Um, fall forward because you can see what's in front of you, right? Yeah. So um, I think, you know, when you're, you're, you, you fall forward, that means you can you make mistakes and it's all about your reaction to the mistakes right mistakes mm -hmm. and that's the thing i have a six-year-old daughter and you know i see her wanting to be a perfectionist and I, I deal with kindergarten kids right now and the biggest thing in first grade is they want to be perfectionists because they're probably conditioned to think they have to be perfectionists yeah. and everything they do um hey draw this i can't draw why not i i just don't know how to draw well do you know that to be good at anything, you have to just try. And you don't have to be perfect. It's just trying. And every time you get better, like little things like that, right? So um, with my daughter, I've realized that even more being a father where that's helped me. And I talk about it in my, my, my engagements in my book where I, I see how early it starts, right? Where yeah. being the fear or the, the, the discipline, what do you do when it doesn't work out? what do you do um when you're embarrassed right and it's all about like disciplining yourself to 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 continue practicing what you've learned right right and if it doesn't work okay let me find a better way right and how do i ask like i said earlier finding those mentors so i think the disciplines that i i always push are discipline communication and um the willingness you got to be willing to continue to go. Like even me, like I was supposed to play basketball professionally and it didn't work out. Now, what was I going to do? And my thing was like, I wanted to still be somebody and I just transferred or translated my success in one aspect, which was basketball into, you know, the work that I'm doing now. Mm. And I think that that's something that needs to be, spoken about more often and as soon as possible when it comes to understanding, you know, you can be successful in anything you do if you discipline yourself in the craft or whatever you're doing at the moment. And even if you don't know that's what you want to do for the rest of your life, you disciplining yourself in that can trigger the ability to do it in whatever you figure out next. Right, right. No, that's a that's a really good point. I mean, I I know you you mentioned your daughter and that idea of seeking perfectionism. I think in today's generation, more than ever, you know, with social media as well, you're just looking for that next like and yeah. that extra follower, and it's just so deeply ingrained from a young age. Do you believe in adulthood? I know you said you work with adults, and obviously you're yeah. working with teachers and. Um, they just need as much of the work as kids do. Do you feel it's even harder because it's been a lifetime of learning a certain Absolutely. way of doing things? And then how do you how do you kind of approach that in adulthood? And can we really break patterns and address core issues in adulthood and 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 then change and you know pivot the direction we're going in? That's yes, I you see like every like with the whole restorative practice this restorative power thing. I've been doing this since I was 12. Like my father was trying to figure out his trauma since I was a little boy. And I was, it was weird because at times he would come to me for advice on how to talk to my mom. And I'm like 12. I'm like, and giving them good advice. And I look back and I'm like, how did I know that? <laughs> right. So like, why did I say that? Right. But um, with that, like I, I got to see firsthand how difficult it is. And I, I, as I talk about it in my book, my first chapter, I used to get in a lot of fights 
um, with my father because I used to, in my first chapter, I talk about how I discovered addiction was an, it was an issue. And I discovered uh, my father's struggles very young. I think I was like eight or nine. And as I was growing up into a teenager, I used to get in a lot of fights with my father, uh, whether, whether verbally or physically. Um, and I used to scream and be like, why don't you just stop drinking? Just stop. And I used to trigger and, you know, get into a fight. But everything changed when I changed my questions. Hey, Pa, why do you drink? Oh, you were abused as a child. You dealt with this. You dealt with that. Um, and I found that there was so much behind it. It wasn't just like you drink because of this, right? Um, and for when I learned all the trauma, all the pain he had experienced from a boy, his dad, like I said, his dad uh, passed away when he was four. He had eight brothers and siblings, um, you know, so you can only imagine the mother not being able to pay attention as much. And then being in a school system where the teachers had permission to put their hands on the students, right? Um, it was in that time uh, in Puerto Rico. So um, that was a lot of, you know, a lot of trauma that he had dealt and never really processed. Now, he worked really hard to make something of himself where he was able to come to America without a high school diploma and um, get a construction job and keep it for 30 years, right, and, and work really hard and, and, and maintain a family, this and that. But there was a lot of trauma going on. Um, and that's why, you know, they always say, check on your strong friends, right? Because the ones that seen, because if you've seen him, he was fit, he was working out, he had tattoos and all that, but he, he was fit, he was working out, he looked good, um, he was always smiling around people, and it was just a distraction because he wasn't dealing with what he was uh, going through. So there is a lot of unlearning, but you know, what I do is talk from my experience and what I was able to see in my father and then with me, um, through the whole experience of losing him and, and rediscovering who I am and identifying the principles to, to keep going, right? Uh, so yeah. I use that as an example to, you know, walk the walk for the people that I'm working with um, and continue to work with. So when I do speaking engagements, it's a, it's a collaboration that goes beyond that one instance. Like I've connected with people that met me at a conference and we continue talking throughout the year, asking me questions, asking for advice, and we've worked and collaborated again. But with that, when I work with a school, I contract for the year and I keep on making revisits and, and seeing if the curriculum is working, seeing if the program is working, um, the system with discipline within school, like what is how are we addressing it. So that's the type of stuff that I'm doing, but a lot of the unlearning comes from uh, more the the the, the teachers, right? Because there's a lot, like you said, there's a lot that has gone on that suppressed the, mm -hmm. the pain, the trauma. So re-identifying it, and I think it's connecting it to the issues that are happening within the school. Yeah. When you connect it to the issues that you're having with the students, you're able to see it in a different light. Because at first it's gonna be this kid, this kid is like that, that kid is like that. Like, why is he so disrespectful? But like now I'm at a point, look, yeah, so when we deal with, when you deal with your own shit, yeah. you're able to see other people's shit. Yeah. So like for me, it's like when a kid curses me out in class as a teacher and a kid has an outbreak, it's not personal. Because if I didn't do anything to make that kid curse me out, I know that kid dealing with something. I see my father just yelling, right? Trying mm -hmm. to look for help. That's a yell for help more than anything. Now, if wow. you don't have certain experiences and dealt with your own shit, you may see that as a personal attack on you. And that is right. where things happen on a daily basis with school. It happens every day where it becomes a screaming match. It becomes this and that. And like, you don't look, listen, don't ever scream with a child. At the end of the day, you're an adult. And if you haven't dealt with your shit, you're always fighting to show people you're an adult. Mm. When you deal with your shit, you're an adult. So when a kid is yelling, I keep my tone real low and I talk very stern. I look the yeah. person in the eyes like, listen, like at this point, like nothing scares me, right? So mm. it's just like, I'm able to look a kid in the eye and him flipping over a table. And I had a student at Kip Houston High School that would do this stuff, flipping over a table, punching holes on a wall, football player type, like way bigger. I'm not by any means like huge, right? So I'm fit, but it's not like, 
you know, he could have done damage to me, but I was able to stand in front of him and calm him all the way down. Wow. Right. Wow. And this is what I was doing with my father since I was 13. So, um, but I've learned through that. It wasn't like there was anything special about me is that I, over time I was able to um, stand up because I believed in the work that I I've done when it was with my father I believed in the work that I've done to that point that I can stand there in my truth right and be like hey I'm here I see you like I understand why you're upset yeah but you know and yeah. and be able to and have that conversation now if you don't deal with your shit that's gonna be hard to do because yeah. all you're thinking about is I got to deal with this at home. I got to deal with this at school. This is bullshit, blah, blah. But if you just deal with your shit at home, then when you come to school, it becomes second nature. And then you're less stressed. So instead of trying to avoid stress by avoiding your issues, dealing with your issues will alleviate the stress, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it's, um, I mean, it's, it's a fascinating conversation because I find human behavior generally fascinating. So I feel like, you know, that's really tapping into the core of it all. Um, yeah. there's, there's certain things like I feel today has become more, uh, I don't know, amplified more than ever. Maybe it is because of our access to technology. We're comparing each other more, this kind of like instant gratification culture. I feel like low self-esteem, low self worth uh even increases in depression anxiety you know all these things are happening um i want to specifically talk a little bit about people pleasing and low self-worth yeah. only because i feel like that stems from habits we have we do learn at a very young age you know tiptoeing around people minimizing our own feelings and i know that you keep mentioning this idea of you know being truthful stepping into your truth Mm -hmm. And obviously that takes you being raw and honest and vulnerable and honest about your shit, like, you know, quite frankly. So how do we get to that place when, you know, we struggle with actually uh, performing to a certain degree, performing into roles which we think are necessary. And that can even be with like a, a, a teacher-student relationship, mm -hmm. right? We want that pat on the back. We want that we want to be the center of attention in the classroom or yeah. how do we get around around this? Cause I think this is the big one. Yeah, I think, and that's a great question. I love the interview so far. You, you, and I've read the questions before and all that, like you are a good interviewer. So, <laughs> um, so with that, uh, I, I take it back and I'll tell a story. Um, when it comes to dealing with people pleasing and, and all of that, um, I think, you see, it's all about life experience. So, and everybody's, everybody's gonna, I, I, say, I say it all the time, either you got slapped early or the slap is coming. Life is going to hit you. So, mm -hmm. and as Les Brown says, you know, it's better, it's better to be prepared and not have a situation happen than to have a situation happen and not be prepared. That's how I look at it. Some people, like my wife, my wife was about it because she just had life hit her much earlier. So she experienced life and I was like, when I first met my wife, I was a pup. Like I had everything played, like laid out. My dad had protected me from all the craziness. Um, my mom had kept me on the road in education, although I wasn't the best student, but she was a teacher. So like my mom like made sure I got it done either way. So I was kind of protected. Um, and then being around my wife, I, I was exposed to this, is you can't just tell someone just get up and do it especially when you haven't been knocked down so hard that it's hard you realize how hard it is right and i finally got that with my dad passing where it's like i i felt not wanting to get out of bed for weeks i felt gaining weight and you know before i've been fit on my life and i used to look at people that gain weight as like yo just do it like just work out just eat better but like when I when I had that life situation happen, I'm like, damn. And my wife tell my wife told me, it's like, yo, that's what happens to someone that gains extreme weight. It's like something traumatic happened. And they never got up. Mm -hmm. So next time you speak to people, you think about that. How do you sound? Right? So with that, I would say 
because I used to wanting to be a speaker. I found the Les Browns of the world. I found the Tony Robbins. I found the Eric Thomases of the world. And I would listen to them, listen to them, listen to them. And I started sounding like them, right? And I started like reading their books and doing what they did. But and then it got to the point where I don't listen to them, especially right before I'm about to speak because I don't want to sound like anybody else. I have to t- mm. speak from my experience and the way I speak. The way I speak is different than Eric Thomas. Eric Thomas would be super aggressive because that's his, he, he was homeless. I don't have that experience. So he talks with a different type of passion. Right. Right. Um, Les Brown, same thing. Um, and, and, and Tony Robbins talks from a different perspective. So like I had to find my own tone. Right. So I, I, the first step I would say is surround yourself around people that are doing what you want to do, whether it's a teacher relationship, find a teacher that has a great rapport with students, see what they do, like just witness it, be in the room when they're having lunch together and see what kind of things they talk about, see how organic the person is and how they are able to connect with the kids. Right. And then, you know, once you're exposed to it, you start trying here and there. And then eventually, like even becoming a father for me changed life forever. Mm-hmm. Like me having a whole different outlook on children and, and, and kids and adolescents and, and seeing the process, how early you get influenced or stuff like that. Like just being exposed to that on a daily basis has helped me become a better speaker. So like life experience will hit you. So when it hits you, you being willing to use it to your advantage. So what I would say is expose yourself to what you want to be and then allow life to happen. And while life is happening, you start becoming your own and taking the things that you learned from other people and implementing it into your life, but then putting your own swag onto it, putting your own spice onto it, whatever you want to say you, you, you put on it, but it has to be you. So um, I think that is the, the, the best way to, um, with low self-esteem and, 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 and trying to please people, like that, that was my father. My father, his whole life was about pleasing people mm. to the point where he realized it's not worth it. Like it, there was no return because when you're pleasing people so much, it's like you're buying them gifts and then you're expecting them to say thank you or give you this specific reaction. <laughs> right. And when they don't give you that reaction, you get pissed. And I didn't see that growing up. I see my father react in a certain way, like he's so ungrateful. All right. Mm-hmm. But like as my wife says all the time, and my wife is like an amazing messiah for me. Like she is like the guru. Um, and that's another thing. I wanted to be around look, off topic. I'll go back to what I was saying, but with with my wife, and I'd say this to all the people, surround yourself around people that are not afraid to tell you the truth. Yeah. I took that so to heart that I married that person. Because <laughs> I was easily, I was easily around people that tell me what I want to hear. Um, yeah. From a family that said what, you know, they thought you wanted to hear and wouldn't tell you the truth. Where when I met my wife, that intrigued me. Where she's beautiful, this and that, but she was so like, um, and honest and I, and I'm, I'm teaching my kids this now with uh, restorative candor. Um, you have to, it's not, you got to say what you want to say, but you got to find a way to get them to listen. You got to use the sandwich. You start the sandwich with the bun, which is the positivity. That's how you open their ears. Hey, you've been my boy since like third grade. We've been cool. You've always been there. You've been loyal. Then you throw the meat on there, which is the hard stuff. Right. But, when you call me this name, it makes me feel like this. And that is why you need to stop doing that because people are starting to treat me different. Then the person should be like, what? And then you sprinkle some sauce <laughs> on there, some lettuce, tomato, make it nice and give them reason. The, because I, I really cherish our relationship and I want us to continue going. And if you continue doing this, it's making me feel like I can't, you know, it's bringing this bad energy. And then you close it with positivity with the bun on, on top. And this is why I want to continue to do this together. Are you down? So that's what I'm teaching my kids, the sandwich, the wow. restorative sandwich. So um, with that, like my, I learned that from my wife. And my wife, was, my wife can 
tell me the hardest thing to tell me, but make me feel good about myself. And I was like, how the hell did you do that? <laughs> my wife is the best. She was like, listen, you are an amazing father. And I love how you like are always willing to learn and all that. But when you say that to our daughter, she is going to be traumatized by that uh, thing. And I don't want, and I know you'd want to be better than your father. But so like, I'm telling you, this is how you be better than your father. And I'm like, oh yeah. Okay, right. right. So like, you know what I mean? I'm like, yeah. oh, okay. So um, I learned that from my wife. But wow. anyway, back to um, what I was saying uh, with my father. Um, I, he, was, he was trying to please everybody around him and with the gifts, right? He, he would get so upset when he, he didn't get the reaction he assumed. And, I, you know, I learned that, you know, you don't, give, you don't give people gifts for a reaction. You give people gifts because you really um, thought about the person and you wanted to be, give them something that, to let them know, like, hey, I hear you. Yeah. I see you, right? So, and I had to learn that. And the crazy thing is when you're around it and you know that it's bad, when you're around it so much, it becomes part of you. So you have to do a lot out of the unlearning yourself. So I was that type of gift giver to my wife until like I started processing and connecting the dots. I'm like, oh no, doing it. Not exactly like my father, but I'm still doing it. I am my father, right? And I had to say that because for so long I was saying, I'll never be like my father. I'll never be like him. I'll never be like him. And there's a problem. We're trained and conditioned to do that. That that allows us to become just who we try not to be. Because mm -hmm. when you say, I am my father, or you say, I am like that person, you're able to identify what it yeah. is that's going wrong. And when you can identify, that's the first step. For an addict, the first step to recovery is identifying that you're a freaking addict. Right, right? acceptance, so, yeah. Exactly. So you have to accept like, okay, I have the potential to become that. Now, what do I do to not become that? Like, this is why... I don't drink to this day. My, my, my boys used to tease me. People used to make fun of me for not drinking all my life. And I always said, like, you know, my father did the drinking for me. I saw what you could do. And my father drank to be himself. And I told myself, hey, when I asked the right questions in the first chapter, as I said, when I started asking, why do you drink? And I started discovering, like, oh, he feels like he can't be himself. So if I just focus on being myself 100% as much as possible. I won't ever need something to control my mood. I can wow. control myself. Mm -hmm. And that, the power behind that at 14, 15 changed everything where I was like, oh yeah, I don't, I don't want to drink. Because guess what? I'm going to have more fun than anybody at this party and I'm going to remember what happened. Wow, wow. And I used to be the designated driver. I used to be <laughs> the one that, you know, and everybody be like, oh my God, what did I do last night? And I was the guy who told them and laughed at them. I was like, you see, like, I know what I was doing. And when people would see me at a party, they would think that I was uh, drinking. I wouldn't be too crazy, but I would be on the dance floor and act a fool. Because I was like, why should I need something to make me feel like I can do that? If I want to do that, I'll just do it. Right. So right. that I think with that um, is what I learned from my father. So um, and like I said, I know I'm going all over the place, but um, like <laughs> I said, with with my father, um, you let you got to you got to take what you have. So whether you get slapped early, which I would say I was slapped a little bit with my father's experience that allowed me to start processing earlier. Or you're slapped later with life, but you being able to, in that moment, take it to your advantage and use it um, so you could be whole, um, it's, it's, it's the key because we, we act like we have to be a certain way to be successful or be happy that we tend to forget like, oh, I didn't unpack that shit because I didn't think that shit was necessary for me to be whole. And that's not true. You need to use all your shit so that you can be whole and identify like, okay, this is what happened to me. This is why I'm like that. Now, how, what do I do to get better? Or how do I get through this, right? So with self-esteem and, and people pleasing, and that's where you have to do the work. Um, and here's the thing, people think that when people have privilege, you don't have these issues. I, I'd speak at very privileged schools and, and work in those schools too, and they have just as, much as, pro just as many problems as the kids that don't come from nothing. Wow. So it's all about a mindset. Because yeah. um, look, the kids that are complaining, the kids that complain like, oh my God, um, my father is not in the house. My mom is not in the house. I don't have them in my life. 
And I tell my kids all the time. Um, and then the other side, before I get into that, um, the other side is like kids are like, I have both parents, but they're always working and they're never home. But I live in a really big house that's really empty. Right. So you have the same like loneliness, like processing. But and this goes back to um, the, you know, being able to see the people that are there to fill those gaps. That's why right. it's very important. But um, I also tell kids all the time, like people talking about the parents that aren't there. And I learned this from my wife. Her dad wasn't in her life. And, and she used to, I used to like, there was this one time I was dogging her dad because he wasn't in life. And I was like calling him a deadbeat and all that. And she was like, why, why, why are you doing that? Don't do that. I was like, why, why are you defending him? He wasn't even in your life. Like, why are you right. defending him? It was like, listen, he made a decision. My dad wasn't an addict. He didn't know, he didn't do anything bad. He just made a decision that he wasn't right to be in my life. Now my mom picked up the pieces and if he was in my life, I would have seen him mistreat my mom. I would have seen, I would have been exposed to things that would have made me see the man, men differently and what I would look for. So with my mom picking up the work, I was able to recognize what is a healthy, you know, relationship and what, how to step away and not feel like you have to stay. Where I, and people don't talk about this. Growing up in a household with two parents that don't want to be together is yeah. just as much trauma as not having one of them. Like yeah. I grew up and saw both parents, they tried their best, but I remember my dad would um, have an escapade and go out and drink and then come back and we didn't see him for a whole week and come back and then my parents are fighting and then my grandparents knocking on the door and everybody's like, hey, how you doing? Everything's great. And I was like, as a kid, that does sound to you. Like you think that like all this chaos is normal and it's not um wow. and i think like that's something we needed to i'm dealing with kids that have both parents in a household but see a lot of shit and like not talking about that so like the kids that don't have one parent are like confused like, i wish i had both parents at home but if we talk more about like oh yeah like kids with two parents are like going through shit too yeah um, might not be the best thing yeah, it's kind of like seeing the thinking the grass is greener on the other side, yeah. right? <laughs> it's not quite. It, it's been it's been a crazy year, obviously. Uh, you yeah. know, we've been through a pandemic, um, and we experience uncertainty all the time. But I think when you're thrust into situations and there's circumstances where truly, you know, it, it shows that you're not in control as much as you think that you were. What yeah. are some of the lessons for you? that has come up in times of uncertainty and how do you how do you navigate through them bearing in mind these principles that you know you, you apply to your life very much so as well how how do you keep that sustainable i guess in periods where you're not yeah. so much in control yeah another amazing question um 2020 was the the year that everybody had a mirror face to them like who are you like who are you really you can't go nowhere you can't do anything forget everything that was important before who the fuck are you and that's what 2020 did for me where i was able to have real in-depth conversations with my damn self why am i actually doing what i'm doing am i like, what is the purpose? Like, what's most important? Prioritizing, like, is my family dynamic healthy? Like, am I doing what I need to do? Or am I aware of what's, what I'm doing to help my immediate family, like, with my wife and daughter? Am I creating, like, what, what are we doing? What am I doing? Like, really, now that I don't have to run to work, now that I don't have to do this and I can actually sit and pay attention to it. Like having these conversations with my wife, um, identifying the needs of my daughter at six, like what is she actually going through? What kind of trauma is she being? Because look, we try really hard to um, not give our children what we got from our parents, right? That we don't talk about, they're still going to get something. <laughs> that they don't like right? right so we have to process that like talk about that like she didn't see the shit that i like she she's not going to be exposed to addiction and alcoholism and stuff like that right 
but there's something else that I'm not paying attention to that years from now she may talk about and be like, I hated that. I wish somebody talked to me about that. And I wish, you know, I felt like I wasn't normal, right? And being a single child, especially during the pandemic is like tough. So um, having those conversations with my wife and my daughter and me and my wife and daughter sat in circle a couple of times in 2020, like literally. And and because my daughter would come to me at work and my wife does that work as well with uh, restorative practices and all that as a program director of, of, of after school programs and working within school and teaching like seminar classes. So she did the work as well. Um, so my daughter would come to our school and see that. And then she would sit in circle with us. So like there was one time, can we sit? And then we like, she, she had a talking piece and she passed it around. I'm like, golly, like she, <laughs> kids really are sponges. So, wow. um, but like we sat and then we made it intentional. Like, okay, what what's going on? Like, what are we missing? Right? right. So we were able to do that in the relationship with me and my wife and, and, in fatherhood, you know, and, and parenthood, um, and then everything else. So I think that's the biggest thing, um, identifying those things. And the discipline is, you know, reminding yourself of the things like practice what you preach, right? You, you, you know, you're trying to be this person to the world, but are you that person to yourself? Yeah. Right? And that's the big thing. Like for me, I, I, I pride myself in walking the walk. So that's why you would see, I get corrected and I walk in stride with that. Like I, I enjoy that. Like my wife corrects me. And sometimes, don't get me wrong, sometimes it's it's tough to hear it. But the first thing I say is like, that's what I need. I need to hear the truth, even when you don't want to hear it. So you can adjust and, and understand yeah. like I don't want to come off this way. I don't want to offend people um doing that. I don't want to like, but you need people to tell you what are you doing that's offending people that what are you doing that could possibly hurt people right so like um that is what um happened during this year and i was able to sit in that more often and, and process um even more um with that stuff wow wow well it, it was so brilliant talking to you such an in-depth conversation and i i really hope that people can take something away from it because i think it's it's a really important conversation and I think the work you're doing is so important. Um, so if people want to get hold of your book, I know you mentioned it's on Amazon. Is that the best place to get it? Tell us a little bit about that. Yes. Um, if you want a one-stop shop for everything, my website, www.cjmotivation.com. Google me. Um, and you can find my book on Amazon, type in my name or put in translate and success. Um, but the best thing you can Instagram, CJ motivation, uh, and all my other platforms use my name or CJ motivation. So, but if you want to find everything about me and videos and all that, uh, cjmotivation.com will be the best place. Brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Carlos, for coming on. I appreciate you. Thank you. And that was the end of another episode on Unplug with Annie. We're continuing this series next week. Until then, stay tuned with everything Unplug on the IG and Facebook page, Unplug with Annie, and also the website, www.unplugwithannie.com. If you'd like to sign up to the newsletters, you can do so on the website and you will receive special newsletters every week, way before Sunday's release. So you get to know ahead of time who Sunday's guest is, a little more in-depth detail about the guest um, and lots more, of course. So stay tuned till next week.